Well, again, good evening to you all. Uh, I would like to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. If you don't have one, it's in the seat back in front of you, and it will be on our screen this evening. While you're turning there, I'll remind you that we're in the middle of our summer sermon series that is called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And what we've been talking about in this mysterious, integral part of our life with God in prayer is that prayer is the means of growing in relationship and partnership with God. Can you all say relationship and partnership? Who is tired of saying relationship and partnership? Don't raise your hand. I'm going to find you after this service. We've been talking about that every week because I think that so many times we beat ourselves up as to how we're praying or not praying. But I want us to shift gears and understand that prayer transforms us and it transforms our world. When we talk about those words relationship and partnership, understand that it's the means by which you grow in communion with the living God and it transforms you. That grows your relationship. But it also doesn't just transform you, it transforms our world. Because when you begin to rub elbows with the living God, you begin to care about the things he cares about. And you begin to look with his eyes and listen with his ears. And so it doesn't just transform you in relationship. It transforms the world when you partner with what God is up to. So isn't it good news that when the followers of Jesus came up to him and said, uh, we should probably learn how to pray. Jesus didn't laugh at them. He didn't say, go in the corner and figure it out. Jesus said what? When you pray, say. And he gave us this prayer. Let's read this in Matthew 6 together. I'm going to back up because we're going to talk about verse 7. And then I'm going to invite you to join me in just a moment, praying with me the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Sound good? Hear these words of Jesus. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. He continues. This then is how you should pray. Can we say these words together, church? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we all say, thanks be to God. Jesus taught us how to pray. And it's God's hope that prayer would not just be a part of your life, but it would saturate Every part of every day. And we see this clearly in the line Jesus teaches us to pray that we're going to be looking at this evening. And that is, give us today our daily bread. In this series, we've been looking at each line of this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And nowhere does it come more finely to the point that God cares about your everyday life and that we are to bring every bit of our everyday to him than the simple request 
of give us today our daily bread. It's Jesus' way of saying, give us what we need when we need it. Right? Give us what we need when we need it. So as we look at this line, I hope that we see tonight at least this, that Jesus taught us to turn our needs into requests. Now, this is something on your handout that you're like, whoa, this is going to be a waste of 30 minutes because duh, right? Because I can't go find breath in life. It's just kind of given to me, right? I need it, and so it kind of appears. And so duh, right? God, keep me alive. God, keep me safe. God, help me do what I can't do for myself. It seems basic, but this is so vital because here in Dallas, Texas, in the Western world, in a kind of church where we can pretty well take care of one another or take care of ourselves, this is deeply, deeply personal and deeply, deeply practical to be reminded that we can do some things, but we cannot do all things. And so Jesus says something as simple as bread should be asked for. And so we're going to spend the remainder of our time looking at the passage we just read in Matthew, as well as jumping where Jesus talks about it in Luke later. We're also going to spend our time saying, okay, why turn our needs into requests? And then we're going to see how to turn our needs into requests. Does that make sense? Two passages, two questions. Why turn our needs into requests? How do we turn our needs into requests? Okay, that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time as we look at what it means to ask God to give us what we need when we need it. If you've been following along at home, you know that the prayer starts at like 10,000 feet. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I mean, where else do you use that word hallowed? That's big time, right? Then you go into the kingdom come and your will be done. And then all of a sudden this dude is asking about bread. Why turn our needs into requests? This is where we're going to be spending our time at the first bit. That's because we forget that in Jesus' day as well as today, millions of people wonder where their next bit of bread might come from. I was spending some time with a friend of mine who's the director of a community development ministry in West Dallas. And we were talking about how we are trying to interact with our neighborhood. And we're trying to become a church that looks like the neighborhood in which we meet. That has all different kinds, all different classes, and all different socioeconomic levels. And he says, man, the one thing I've learned is this. The poor are intensely practical. And I said, what do you mean by that? He says, a lot of times we go around in church asking these big aerial questions and we forget that all they want to know is, can I keep the light bill on this week? And Jesus wants us to all be people, whether it's the light bill you need or the healing you need or the financial resources you need or the relational maintenance you need. He wants you to take those needs nowhere else but him first. We need to turn our needs into requests. We need to turn our needs into requests. Because Jesus never wants us to move beyond prayer as request. I think about how my children pray. How many of you learned to pray and you just started with like, 
thank you, God, for this food. Y'all with me? Anybody pray the thank you, God, for this food? My youngest, Nora, who's in the gym, and, you know, this is just how she prays, so I'm going to embarrass her little four-year-old self. She is always praying that God would keep us safe. And I'm wondering, are we in danger right now? Because at the end of the day, all day, she says, God, please keep us safe. God, please keep the orphans safe. God, please keep mommy safe and daddy safe. And I'm looking around going like, okay, what does she know that I don't? But at some point, we can never move beyond asking God for what we need. And this is why Jesus teaches us to pray for something as simple as bread. And speaking of my girls, y'all know this if you have children, how the summer alarm clock shifts, okay? If you have children that are in school, I'm betting that between end of August to end of May, you are the one that is waking up in a dead sprint from your phone, ready to get these little farts up and out and on with your day. Sorry I said farts, Annabelle. But something happened when my kids were out of school for the summer and my alarm clock shifted. I was no longer bumping up out of bed and Amy's not tearing through, getting them dressed and all this. What ends up happening is every single morning, Emma and Nora come in and they come to my side of the bed because daddy is on morning detail. So they bother me because Amy gets the rest of the day detail. So they bother her the rest of the time. So they're trained to come to my side of the bed and every single morning, and I'm not lying, every single morning since school's been out, this is how I wake up. Daddy, can we have breakfast? Daddy, can we have breakfast? And so I kind of throw a screen in their face and say, give me 15 minutes because you need snooze buttons, right, on these new alarms that are your children. And then what happens is I finally get up and I go and I make them breakfast. And here's the hilarious thing. Is there anything within them that thinks that maybe today we won't get breakfast? I'm not sure. So why then, when Jesus says, pray this way, give us today our daily bread, did he follow it or precede it with saying, hey, your father knows what you need before you even ask? Did anyone catch that that was in verse 7? Your father knows what you need before you even ask, or verse 8? And then give us this day comes in like verse 11? Jesus, why are we supposed to ask these things that we need if you already know we need it? And I think here's why. Because God is delighted in our asking. Because there's going to come a day where we won't keep the Cheerios up on the fourth shelf and they can reach them themselves. But at a certain level, I love that these little farts, there I said it again, still need their daddy at 7 a.m. in the summer. I believe that God is delighted in our asking, and I think this is why. The second reason why turn our needs into requests is because we are formed in our asking. Because at some level, the girls know that daddy is the purveyor of breakfast, and so I better get with him. Why? It forms us and teaches us to trust our Father that knows what we need. But it's in the asking that delights Him, and it grows us in trust to go to where the bread's at. 
So Jesus taught us to turn our needs into requests because what happens is we begin to turn our eyes toward the giver. Now, because we are always up against this self-reliance and, oh, we've got this, we can handle bread, sometimes we get so preoccupied by doing it ourselves when we finally butt up against something we can't do for ourselves, we sit down and we begin to pray this way. Y'all ready? Gimme, 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 gimme. Because we haven't missed or we've missed the daily part of this asking. And we finally butt up against it and we begin to finally sit down and when we get our list of gimme, 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 gimme's, if you're like me, all the to-dos and the fears and the anxieties begin to bubble up. I feel this most strongly when as pastors we go for a day of solitude regularly. And I have to spend the first 30 minutes getting my wiggles out because all of the fears and anxieties and frustrations and needs bubble up to the surface and I cannot for the life of me discern what I want or what I need. And I cannot for the life of me discern is there actually a difference between what I want and what I need. So part of the way we're formed in our asking is to begin to ask daily And to train ourselves in the little places to say, God, even though my paycheck gets deposited once a month, I'm going to recognize that that's of you. And I'm still going to ask that you make it stretch. God, even though I recognize that when I open up my pantry, I see this food, what happens is it begins to turn your needs into gifts when we turn our requests to Jesus. I love that Eugene Peterson says, prayer is the means by which we get everything in our lives out in the open before God. There was a time in my life at the end of college that I was really distant from following Jesus. He was down the path and he was encouraging me to come along. He was encouraging me to take seriously a call into ministry. And this was me. Yeah, no, I think I'm good. And just kind of veering off this way. But my wife, Amy, today was my girlfriend then. And she was begging God and saying, I need him to get it together. Because I was constantly at odds with her because I've been drifting from this path. So even though I was far from Jesus, I was still close to some of the Jesus people. And I had a regular meeting once a month with an old friend of mine who was also a Christian and was like studying to be a pastor. And we'd meet every month and over a beverage, and, uh, and it's usually coffee, fear not. Uh, I've said farts and uh, admitted to the existence of alcohol, forgive me. But we would meet over a beverage once a month. And one time I just sat down because this was a particularly difficult season. And I just started unloading on him. Because Amy keeps asking me this and she keeps doing this. And I, well, I keep upsetting her on that. And so I'm just venting. And he was so gracious to dutifully listen to me. And he finally just looks at me and says, dude, you have talked to me a lot about it. Have you talked to God about it? And my first reaction was, dude, are you for real with the God card right now? But then my second thought was, man, how often do I talk to everyone else except this one who I believe is present with me? And the question I think for me in those moments, and perhaps for you, 
is do you think that you got it or do you think that God is bothered or do we believe that God is not bothered with our real life. Instead, he wants to meet us in it. This is where I think the disconnect comes. We have our family bucket, our relationship bucket, our financial bucket, and we say, God, you can have this bucket. And God says, I want every bucket. God says, I want to saturate and touch your marriage because there's so much better if you would just invite me in. And I'm coming to believe more and more that God is not coercive. He wants to partner with us. And the way we sort out all of this mess is in prayer. Because after my friend called me to the carpet, I went home because it was a long drive. And I was like, are you serious? Did you talk to God about it? And I said, God, well, I'll talk to you about it. And I start spewing it. Because prayer is the means by which we get everything in our lives out in the open for God. And Eugene Peterson is right. And the more I got everything out in the open before God, the more I allowed him access to this one little bucket that I had kept for myself. I had drug it away from Jesus because I was not walking in step with him. The more I began to realize that he was meeting me precisely in that bucket. And the more I settled down and the more I began to slowly see things from his eyes. And the more I began to realize that my goodness for one year, I've been distancing myself from her and Jesus. And who in this room is surprised that Amy was on God's side? But it was in those moments where the gimme, 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 gimme turned into thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I had been running and doing everything on my own. Why get everything out in the open? Why turn our needs into requests? I think another reason is because in what I learned in that moment is it untangles the mess in our head and our heart. And it shows us the difference between the way we are just sure of and it shows us the best way. This was last week, your will be done. You can only discern this when you're communing with him where he says, no, 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 I've got something better for you. But we're so fast down the journey. We never stop and listen and discern. And he wants us to see, but he will not coerce us. He's inviting us to slow down and say, let's start by getting everything out in the open. What do you need? What do you need? What is it that you're unwilling to share with him? What bucket do you have on your own? What happens if God invades that space and you allow him to work and untangle all the mess? I really believe that that's what's shifting us from gimme, gimme, gimme to thank you, thank you, thank you. Because when this happens is crucial. When Jesus says, give us today our daily bread is crucial. It comes after the whole, your name be first and your kingdom come. And I think in America, we are better consumers than we are contenters. It moves us from consumption and saying, gimme, 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 to thank you, I have enough. But it only happens in that space if we allow ourselves to distance enough. One of the ways I believe Will Williman, who's a bishop in Alabama, who co-wrote a book with Stanley Hauerwas, which is amazing, uh, Anabaptist, Baptist theologian. They co-wrote a book called Lord Teach Us, and it's about discipleship, and it talks about the Lord's Prayer. But one of the ways that he gets at this idea of why we need to turn our needs into requests is because it's a way of moving us from consumerism to contentment. And he says it this way. 
In praying for daily bread, we are praying for daily presence of God among us. A more accurate translation of this word daily might be sufficient or enough. To pray for more would tempt us to try to live as if we were other than those who live only by the will and working of a gracious God. He continues, When manna was given in the wilderness, the Hebrews were permitted to gather only as much as they needed for each day. So look at this. Daily, we must reach out to the God who daily reaches out to us. If you hear nothing else, would you let him get the word tonight? Daily, we must reach out to the God who daily reaches out to us. Because it's not just enough to pray for contentment and say, this bread, this day, what I need today is enough. It's also to move us from self-reliance to God-reliance. Because the, quest, the story that he's referencing is when they wandered in the desert for 40 years, guess what? There isn't much food in the desert today, nor was there thousands of years ago. And there's this mysterious bread-like substance called manna that snowed down on these people. And it was only a matter of days until they said, eh, this stuff is kind of gross. And this is why we need to say, this is enough, and God, I'm reliant on you, and thank you, instead of gimme, 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 because they missed the fact that God was meeting with them and reaching out to them, even in the midst of their darkest time of wandering and suffering. And so often, if we are not praying this way, we concentrate on what we don't have rather than on what we do have. One of the practices I've commended to you guys in the past that a few of you have taken really seriously is to start a gratitude journal. When Pastor Kathy taught a class on the good and beautiful life, this was a, one that really resonated with us because I think in our culture, we're constantly looking to what they have. The gratitude journal is a daily reminder of the things that we have. And so if you're a tactile person that needs to write this stuff down, would you just grab your journal or grab a sheet of paper or shoot, grab a dry erase board on your family's refrigerator and every day add something to the list. And don't do any repeats. It's going to get wild on this list because you're thankful for ice cream and coffee and whatever. I guess all mine are food. But what it's going to do is train you to turn your needs into requests, and that in turn turns your eyes to the giver. So now that's the why. It forms us, and God's delighted, but here's the how bit. And I referenced this earlier about God knowing what we need before we even ask. You know what came before that? That strange bit about babbling. Did y'all see that? Did y'all remember that? Jesus was well aware that Christians or Jewish people weren't the only ones that pray, okay? You are not the only prayers in this world. Are you aware of that? What Jesus was saying was this phenomenon in his day where these other religious groups that he calls pagans would stand up and they would start using magic words and they would start pleading their case because they were trying to twist the arm of whatever God that could get them what they wanted, right? So understand that this is a cosmic vending machine situation where if they put in the right magic word, which is your quarter, to the God vending machine, then you press the button, and then if you don't get it, then you keep pressing the button, and then if you don't get it, then 
then you got to start kicking the machine. you got to start shaking the machine. This is the prayer version of what you did last week at your workplace vending machine. Because God bless it, you got to have a Snickers. What Jesus was saying was, if you can call God Father, all you got to do is say, can I have breakfast? And the Father will get up and give you what you need. Not because you said the magic word, but because you have the right relationship. Not because you said the magic word, but because it's rooted in a relationship with him. And the way I have it here in the slides is we are free to ask God when we are humble enough to trust him. How we ask matters. And I think you can only ask for the basic needs when you allow yourself to realize that everything I have is a gift that's been given by a loving father, not because of what I've done. God loves you immeasurably more than you could ever allow yourself to believe. And it's not because you did a good Christian thing yesterday or because you did a bad non-Christian thing last night. One of the things that may revolutionize your prayer life is to before you get into your list of gimme, gimme, gimme's, would you pause and stop and ask the Father the question, how do you see me right now? Because everyone else will tell you who you are and what you look like and what you need to do and what you haven't done, but you know what matters more than any of that? The smiling face of an Abba, Father, that is pleased with you, right where you are, not where you need to be, not where you should have been last night. And when you turn to him, when you ask of him, when in humility you say, I've got open hands, know that God loves to give to people with open hands. Know that God loves to meet you and pour out his smile on you when the world says otherwise. Would you find your identity rooted in him? You don't have to twist arms. You just have to trust him and trust that he loves you even when you don't love yourself. But we don't only turn our eyes to the giver. It's not just about that relationship. It's also about partnership. And I've struggled today as to whether or not I wanted to share this next quote because it's been eating my lunch. Because it doesn't just turn our eyes to the giver. It turns our eyes to others. And I believe that how we ask should not just be with open hands to receive what God has for us, but it should be with open hands in order that we might share what God has for us because we realize that it's a gift and gifts are best when they're given. This is what St. Basil the Great said. He lived in the 300s and I think he has a word for us today. The bread that is spoiling in your house belongs to the hungry. The shoes that are mildewing under your bed belong to those who have none. The clothes stored away in your trunk belong to those who are naked. The money that depreciates in your treasury belongs to the poor. And I think St. Basil can say these words with confidence because of these two tricky little words in our request. And that are the words us and our. 
Because I think one of the things we need to learn in Dallas, Texas, is that we are interconnected with the world. And we need to realize that when we have much and others have little, it should change the way we ask for what we need. And it should change our posture to what we get when we receive it. And also, the clothes stored away in your trunk belong in our clothes closet. When we're faced with so many needs, how we ask matters. And I want to finish with this passage in Luke 11. Because uh, if I'm like you, I cannot get around all of Jesus' teaching on asking without this crazy thing he says, and not one or not two, but several places about asking a father who loves us. So it's on the screen in Luke chapter 11. I want to spend the last few moments just talking briefly about what happens when we don't get what we ask for. How are we to ask in those places? And then I'd love to just pause for a minute to hear a few of you uh, ask questions or share a story or share a reflection. Then I want to pray, and then we'll respond with the table. I'm going to read Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. Because this is what he says after the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel. Then Jesus said to him, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him, and they don't have dominoes. Pizza. That was a bad joke. Just seeing if you're listening. Verse 7, And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, in this parable that Jesus is saying, y'all can't think of the four three that you got in Garland. you got to think of a one-room house in which, when everything's done, they push all the chairs and the table away, and they all get their mats, and they sleep together, the husband, the wife, and all their kids, and maybe even some servants in there, too. So, when homeboy comes and knocks on the door in the middle of the night, he is under an obligation to be hospitable to his friends. And when he doesn't have any bread or have any meat or have any anything, he's got to go find something because his friends have journeyed and there is a strict hospitality culture in Jesus' day. And it could bring shame on his family, shame on the town. And so he is going to do whatever he has to do to get what he needs. So he goes to his friend's house and he knocks on the door in the middle of the night. So now you can imagine this sleepy friend of his goes, okay, I've got a five-year-old here, a seven-year-old here, an eight-year-old there, and the 18-year-old snoring sprawled out in the corner. How am I going to get to the door? And so what he does is he delicately steps forward and he says, no, go away, dude. The baby's about to wake up. Jesus continues in his story. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give you bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, at this point, you're saying, oh, he's talking about God as the sleepy friend. And you say, God is kind of a jerk a little bit. That's not the point. There is a million ways in which God is not like your sleepy neighbor. Hello? The point that Jesus is trying to make is this. Because you won't hush about it, he is going to get up and move. He continues. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. 
Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now here's the trick. God is going to be moved by our shameless audacity, our holy boldness, our persistence. And God loves to give when we ask, seek, and knock. But here's the trick. I'm going to get real. How much of our own personal life data proves the opposite of what we just heard Jesus say? And this is why we need to remember that when we pray, when we talk with God about what we're doing together in relationship and partnership, we are entering in to some mystery that is not like the vending machine. And it's not all that like a sleepy friend that's going to get you exactly what you need when you need it right then, or rather what you want right then. I think that there's mysteries with God's timing. And how many of you who just begged and begged and you did the persistent thing, but it didn't happen when you want it to happen? Would you have the clarity of mind to, in six months or a year or six years when the dust clears, would you have the presence of mind to say, oh, actually, if I had got what I wanted then, it would have ruined the better thing that I have now in God's time. We have mysteries of other wills. I don't believe that everything happens for some reason. I believe that everything happens because there are billions of wills operating within our universe. And what God does is say, I'm going to allow every bit of this to happen, but know that I am always at work bending it toward the renewal of all things in which my word and my will and my kingdom will come in fullness. But until that day, we cannot presume to know the complexities of how what you are asking for affects this person and that person and that person over there and the cosmic wills of all the unseen forces at work for good and evil that we can't see. We just don't know it all. And I wish I could explain it all to you, but I can't. And read the Bible. It's a mess of people trying to figure it out and try to name where God is at work and then where God didn't show up because we just don't know. There is mysteries of our own asking. Paul says in Romans 8, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And I'm like, oh, good. Now we're doing a series on prayer. Whoops. He says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit is with us and guiding us and helping us in our weakness. James says, hey, you don't have because you didn't ask with the right motive. Because your reason for wanting that job or that thing is to show how good you are in the eyes of others. Or you didn't get this thing or that thing because of what it would do to your heart and your relationships. And ultimately, I think this is something that struck me this week. There are mysteries of unseen answers. How many answers have been given, but they've just been unrecognized? This is what messes me up. How much has been given that's not been attributed to God's work and God's hand? So really it boils down to this. What Jesus said is absolutely 100% true. And know that God will never let some need go ungiven or unanswered. He will always give you what you need when you need it. He never runs out of what we need. 
But sometimes in the asking of what we want or what we hope, we have to look back at what we prayed last week when Jesus didn't get what he wanted in the garden. And he says, nevertheless, I'm going to trust you, which is why what follows in our passage in Luke 11 matters so much. When he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, he will give him a scorpion. Now pause there. Sometimes we're asking for the wrong thing. But the point of this passage is he's going to give us the best thing and the right thing. He continues on. If you then, though, who are evil, and what he means is just, it's a Jewish way of saying, like, if God is perfect, you're the opposite of perfect, okay? Just a blanket statement. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And this is where I close. When it appears that God haven't given us all we've asked for, remember that God has given you his very self. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And it's in those places when we turn our, our needs into requests, we begin to recognize that when we daily reach out to God, we're communing with the God who daily reaches out to us. Would we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it and open hands to receive it? We're running a little behind, so here's what I'd love for us to do. Hannah, can we turn off these house lights? I want us to close this time before we come to the table in prayer. So would you join me in prayer before we respond? Father, we thank you that you love us more than we could ask or imagine. We thank you that you give us what we need. And Lord, before we turn our eyes to you, and ask for what we need? Lord, could we as a community ask on behalf of others? We don't know how to pray as we ought. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit who is moving even now with groanings too deep for words. We thank you for Jesus who knew what it meant to suffer and who stands alongside those who mourn for they shall be comforted. So Lord, as we come to the table, would you send us with someone in our head and our heart in need? Would we receive from you the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control to be a light to them for the bread is our bread. And then, Lord, we ask as we turn to our own needs in this time as we sing, that as we sing, Lord, I need you, we would give voice to those needs as requests that only you can give. We thank you for this community. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your presence among us, in us, and with us. We ask all this in the strong name of Jesus who suffered and rose again in victory. Amen. All right. If y'all will stand, we'll receive our benediction. <clears throat> May God the Father prepare your journey. Jesus the Son, guide your footsteps.
the spirit of life strengthen your body. The three in one watch over you on every road that you may follow. Go in peace.